reading from 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to grieve over Saul? I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have found my next king among his sons. How can you do that? Samuel asked. When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say, I have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will make clear to you what you should do. You will anoint for me the person I point out to you. So Samuel did what the Lord instructed. And when he came to Bethlehem, the city elders came to meet him. Uh, they were shaking with fear. Do, 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 do you come in peace, they asked. Yes, Samuel answered, I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now make yourselves holy, then come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel made Jesse and her son, his sons holy and invited them to the sacrifice as well. And when they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, that must be the Lord's anointed right in front. But the Lord said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or stature because I have not selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. Next, Jesse called for Abinadab, who presented himself to Samuel, but he said, the Lord hasn't chosen him either. So Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, no, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. And Jesse presented seven of his sons to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't picked any of these. And then Samuel asked Jesse, is that all of your boys? Well, there is still the youngest one, but he's out keeping the sheep. Send for him, Samuel told Jesse, because we cannot proceed until he gets here. So Jesse sent and brought him in. And he was reddish-brown, had beautiful eyes, and was good-looking. The Lord said, that's the one. Go anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him right there in front of his brothers. The Lord's Spirit came over David from that point forward. And then Samuel left and went to Ramah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So our current worship series is a survey of the life of David. As we recall, the biblical witness says that David was a man who had the same heart as God. And so the survey is for us to see how David was formed and shaped through various characters and events in his life to come to be that person who shared the same heart as God so that we might consider how our journey can mirror some of his to follow God's heart as well. 
Last week we began considering his great-grandmother Ruth, a persistent character in her story, and how that characteristic itself might have become a family trait handed on from generation to generation. Because as you read David's story, you see that he persists through many different things. He persists to have the heart of God. And how we can be persistent in our own faith journey as well as the encouragement so that at the end of our lives we might be considered people who also have had the heart of God. This week we venture into the story of his selection by God to be the next king of Israel. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder how people become notable and others don't. Right? Why is it some people become famous and well-known in our culture and in our society and why other people don't? Right? How does a nerdy guy who liked playing with early, early versions of personal computers found a foundation on education and be worth something like $90 billion? Right? How does that happen that he would become that notable? Or a skinny kid who played basketball at North Carolina become one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pro basketball player ever. And if you see his logo on any kind of Nike apparel or shoes, you instantaneously know it's a pair of Michael Jordans, right? Or how does a B-movie actor decide to get into politics become the governor of California, and then all of a sudden decide, I'm going to run for president and not only get elected, but get re-elected as well. How, How do these things happen? How do some people become notable and others not? You know, it seems like some some fairly unlikely characters in our, our culture, our society, become people of notoriety and achievement. And yet statistics will tell you that even the kids that are most likely to succeed or become famous often don't in our society. How does that happen? What is the impetus behind it? I took a class on speech and drama in the ninth grade, you know, a fun class. Part of the class was is that we had to put on a play for our school and our parents. And we had to try out for different parts in this play. The play was titled The Death and Life of Sneaky Fitch. Any of you ever heard of it? None? Well, then I'm going to have to tell you a little bit about it. Written by a guy by the name of James Rosenberg. And and here's the thing about it. The story is about an ambitious little town named Gopher Gulch. It's actually a parody on Gunsmoke and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. So if you know those two shows, you're going to kind of get the flow. It's a little Western kind of theme. There's two problems with this ambitious little town. One of them is a gunman by the name of Rackham, who is the fastest gun in the West and runs roughshod over this little town of Gopher Gulch. The other is an obnoxious drunk by the name of Sneaky Fitch. As the play goes, Sneaky Fitch dies, and Doc Birch, who's one of the characters, getting ready to leave the town for good. He's moving on, but he tends to Sneaky Fitch in his dying moments. He administers some mysterious medicine to him, and, and Sneaky supposedly dies. And so the town gets ready for the obnoxious drunk's funeral. And in the middle of the funeral... Sneaky Fitch comes to life and bursts forth out of his coffin, right? Surprises everybody in the play. Now, 
No one wants to challenge a man who's been raised from the dead. So he weaves his way into becoming the sheriff and the mayor and the town banker. So all of a sudden he's got all this power. And then he takes on Rackham and defeats him. So he goes from being an obnoxious drunk to an insufferable dominant leader of everybody in the town, right? A great character that everybody wants to follow. But then the doc comes back to town and he tells everybody what actually had transpired with Sneaky Fitch, which means the town then turns on him and good old Sneaky gets his just rewards, right? Anybody want to guess what part I played in the play? Choir? No, it was not the obnoxious town drunk or the insufferable leader, Sneaky Fitch. That was not the role that I got to play. I actually had the dual role of Undertaker and Preacher. Come on, you should have guessed that one, folks. Right? Now, that was the closest I ever came to the little screen, big screen, Broadway, or any kind of fame whatsoever. The only thing I remember, though, was trying to convince myself that I was capable of doing this. of Memorizing lines, walking out on stage, following the stage direction, knowing where I was supposed to go, being able to speak out loud in front of all of the audience. At the beginning, I really thought I was probably one of the most least likely, least capable of being able to perform in my ninth grade little high school play. How many of you have been challenged to do something that you thought you were incapable of doing? Doing something that you thought was impossible for you to be able to do, To navigate a a tough relationship with someone that, that seems like it's just better off leaving it dead, walking away from it, and yet trying to persevere through it knowing that at the end of it, there might be something better on the other side. In business, we do this sometimes. We we take a risk to give someone a really challenging assignment that might be beyond their skill set, hoping and anticipating that it will help them to grow while also anticipating there might be an element of failure in this as well. Personally, though, I think we speak a lot of language into our own heads and our own hearts. And sometimes that language empowers us to do something But how often we speak negative language into ourselves that keeps us from even trying to do something. I wonder what it is, though, that we also think, feel, or believe when it comes to our relationship with God and the world. Are we capable agents of God? Or do we tell ourselves that God could never use a person like me? I'm just not up to the task. I don't have the right skill. God can't use me. You know, the Old Testament tells us the story that Saul was, of course, the first king of Israel. Saul could have reigned all of his life except for the single fact that Saul dishonored God when it came to worship practices. And because of that, God rejected Saul as the king. God tells the prophet Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and anoint the new king who I am going to point out to you. Now, you can certainly understand Samuel's reticence in this moment, right? You want me to go do what? Go anoint a new king while there's a current king living 
who's probably going to have my head for it, right? If you think about it. But God says to Samuel, go anyway. And go and take a sacrifice. Make a sacrifice while you are there. It kind of becomes his, his cover story, his reason to go to Bethlehem. So Samuel sets out and he comes to the house of Jesse and he announces a sacrifice for all to come and participate in. He invites Jesse and his sons to come to it as well. And he also announces that God is going to appoint, anoint one of his sons to be the next king over Israel. Well, what does Jesse do? Right? He does what any father would do in his circumstances and in that day. He sends his oldest son forward as the first, thinking he would be the one to be anointed. It's got to be my oldest son. But God tells Samuel, no, not that one. While people look as the world does on the outside and what's on the outside of folks, I look into the heart. I see a person's heart, says God. So Jesse moves on, presents his second son, and God says, no, not that one. And on down the line, he presents son after son after son, seven sons, and God rejects every single one of them. And then Samuel finally says to Jesse, is that all of your boys? And Jesse says, well, no, I, I've got one who's still out in the fields tending the flocks. And Samuel says to him, send for the boy because we cannot proceed onward until he arrives. And the moment that he arrives, God speaks into Samuel and says, he's the one. Anoint him. Jesse's eight sons, David, the last of them, the least likely candidate by their standards. So least and likely, dad didn't even invite him in from the fields for the sacrifice. If you think about this for a moment, there, there's a few things that kind of come out of this story that I think we could certainly hang on to. We're reminded that David was not the oldest, the biggest, the strongest, or even the most impressive of his brothers. He was an unlikely candidate that the father even just simply forgot about, ignored, didn't even think that God would anoint or appoint him. And yet David, the moment he comes in from the field is the one God says as he looks into his heart, he is it. There's a couple of things that I hope that we glean from this story today. One of them is the basic theme of scripture and that is, is that God finds possibilities for grace in some of the most unexpected places and through some of the most unlikely persons in this story. God sees possibilities where we often don't. Because God doesn't look at things the way we do and the way the world does. God views into our hearts. I find it amazing how much of our lives is, is lived based upon what we see, the world around us, the image and the appearance that we find ourselves giving over to and trying to figure out how to emulate in our world. How many products are sold based upon appearance of either youth or sexuality? And even though they are doing the advertisement in that manner, it has nothing to do with the product they're trying to sell you, right? Has any of you seen the new Gucci commercial for their new perfume called Guilty? Any of you? I saw it the other day, right? You watch that ad and you've got no idea they're trying to sell you a perfume until they announce it at the end, right? 
Because the ad has nothing to do with perfume. Or you think about tobacco. We all know that tobacco causes cancer. It hastens people's death. And yet it still sells in great volume today because it's chic. It's macho. We know stories of kids who are ostracized at school for not wearing the right name brands. Their parents can't afford those name brands. And then the kids who actually get one of those coveted items and get beaten and robbed at school because everybody else wants it, right? And then we've got politicians. (laughs) More politicians worried about their polished, successful media image than they are convincing any of us where they stand on any of the important issues today, right? We view from the external, the world around us. We give in to it. I'd say sometimes we are suckers, fooled by the appearance of things, preoccupied with it, wasting our time on what does not matter to God because God looks into the heart. The second thing I'd say is, is maybe the reason God chose David is because of David's openness to God. His spirit of adventure, his delight in new things, his willingness to let God use him, work through him. David wasn't closed off in this story. His mind wasn't made up. He didn't claim to have everything figured out. He wasn't a hostage to his lot in life. Rather, David was open. His heart was open to the future and to the new possibilities, to the mystery that was before him and the unknown. He was open to the spirit of God. An unlikely character whose heart was open to God and because of it, God was able to use someone that the world had discounted, had overlooked. But because of his heart, David continues to persist. Through thick and thin, he will become the person God wants him to be, one who shares the heart of God. When you have a heart of God, I would say to you that the near impossible will be within your grasp. God wants each and every one of us to have God's own heart so that the heart of God might come forth in us. The power of God's heart might come forth in us because it will propel all of us to become not only the person God wants us to be, but also to overcome insecurities, perceived inabilities, to overcome the world around us, that we might share God's love with all people, even despite some of the hindrances around us. In 1996, at the Olympic Games in Atlanta, you, you might remember this story. The women's gymnastic team was poised to win the gold medal. If either of the last two U.S. competitors just simply succeeded in completing a clean vault, right? Now, the first one uh, of the competitors was actually a well-known U.S. team member. She was expected to be the one who would clinch the U.S. gold medal in one of her first two vaults. But if you remember the story, she went down both times, and on both, uh, both vaults, she stumbled on her landing, which left it up to a little girl by the name of Carrie Strug to try to clinch the gold medal. Now, Carrie was not the best gymnast on the team. She wasn't the flashiest. She was not the most decorated. Actually, before the Olympics, she wasn't even known beyond gymnastic circles. Nobody really knew her. She was not a household name. Now, for her first vault, she raced down the floor. She made her attempt, but at the end of her vault, when she landed, she slipped 
and twisted her ankle, if you remember, right? So she limped gingerly back to the starting line. She kind of massaged her ankle around a little bit. She pushed back the pain and the tears that she was feeling, and she sprinted down the runway again. She launched herself into her planned series of twists and turns, ending in a solid landing, sticking it just long enough. And then she collapsed and fell. And her coach came and swooped her up, put her on a stretcher, took her off to the medical services area. A fairly unknown gymnast demonstrated to all the world the power of heart to push beyond and to get over. An unlikely candidate, by all standards on this team, the unlikely candidate secured the gold medal for the U.S. women's gymnastics team. You know, we all know others who are better looking than we are, more talented, more mature, they're wealthier, more physically capable than we are. Perhaps we discount our abilities, our attractiveness to God as potential servants. We have assumed that God will simply use all the better others, not us. I'm too big of a sinner. I have nothing to offer, so I'm just simply going to stay in the fields with the sheep. Praise God. God does not look upon us the way we look at ourselves. Because God looks deep into your heart and my heart. So here's what I hope you, you take away from this morning. A couple of things just simply to talk about, converse a little bit about. To be reminded that we are a people who often judge ourselves and others by worldly measurements. We look at the outside. But God uses a different set of standards as shown through the story of David. God uses unlikely characters because God can see deep into our hearts. And God can use each of us if our heart is open to the Spirit of God. So here's your invitation for today. To think about this. Is your heart closed to God today? Or is your heart open to the Spirit of God? Because God is inviting you to be open. To be open to the future to new possibilities, open to mystery, and especially on this Pentecost Sunday, to be open to the Spirit of God. Why? Because God can use any of us for God's glorious purposes, even those of us who feel like we are the most unlikely character to change the world. Would you join me in prayer? So merciful God, in this moment, we are grateful and thankful that your power and your presence never gives up on us, that you promise to be steadfast and faithful always with us, that your spirit is always inviting us. Open our hearts to you today, O God, that we might see anew the possibilities, the mystery around us, that we might see that no matter What it is we believe about ourselves, you have something different in mind for us. And through an open heart, you can work, you can use, you can change the world through each of us. And so we ask today, O God, that your spirit might come and be upon us, that you might dwell in us 
and that you might use us for the things that we think are even impossible. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to take out your hymnal.